What do women want? What does your wife want? It's really not a mystery to us because God has told us clearly and exactly how to husband. So we're going to talk about how to husband today. Next weekend, we're going to talk about how to wife. I did it last night, and all the men avoided me after the service. True, I, I couldn't make that up. And uh, next week, all the women will avoid me. Because so many marriages, people have been married for five minutes or 50 years. The husband does not know how to husband, and the wife does not know how to wife. Dr. James Dobson tells about receiving a letter from a young woman who'd been married for a brief period of time. She said her and her husband lived in an apartment, and somehow a mouse was in the apartment. And ladies, you know a mouse to you is more deadly than 10 rattlesnakes. And so she was unnerved about this mouse, and her husband rigged up a trap to catch the mouse in a cage, and bang, surely enough, he was successful. And then now he had a, a living mouse in a little cage, and they didn't want to kill the little furry rodent in cold blood, so they decided that they would drown him, and they took the cage and put him in a, a, a container of water and, and put the the rat inside the little cage, and they left for two hours. They didn't want to see him struggle. And when they came back, that little mouse, the water didn't go to the top of the container. The little mouse was standing on one toe with his nose just above the water. <laughs> now, I don't know what happened to the mouse, but I do know the wife went on to explain in that letter that that's the way her marriage was operating. As a wife, she felt like she was straining and standing on one toe, just barely keeping her nose above the water. Too many marriages are like that. Too many marriages are like that. That is not how God designed for us to live together as husband and wife. And therefore, wouldn't it be beautiful if I knew a secret, a secret to tell all husbands here how to husband, a way to tell all men here what your, life, what your wife really wants, what she really wants. By the way, there's a cheat sheet about that. And it's very clear, God tells us in the manual for marriage what your wife really wants. And he uses two vehicles to do that. One is the apostle Paul. We know he was married because he remembered the Supreme Court. But we know that when he wrote his letters that he was a single man. We don't know what happened to his marriage. It could be following the Damascus Road experience when he came to the light of Jesus Christ and was gloriously converted that his wife, being an Orthodox Jew, would no longer live with him 
And there's a strong possibility that she divorced Paul or she could have died. But whatever the situation, we know that Paul was a man who was single at this moment and God spoke to him through his Holy Spirit and said very clearly in Ephesians chapter five, this is how a husband is to husband. And then we have another clear instruction that is in 1 Peter, chapter number three. We have Peter who was married, had children in all probability, was living with his mother-in-law in Capernaum, and therefore God spoke to Peter, a married man, and gave him instructions through the Holy Spirit as to how husbands are to husband. So we ought to have good counsel so no man can say, I don't know what my wife wants. I don't know what my wife needs. I don't understand women. Gentlemen, you don't have to understand. We just have to know the playbook and follow the playbook. And you'll be amazed at the woman that you may have married to five minutes or 50 years, the radical, radical way that she will radically change because a husband begins to husband the way God has prescribed it. If you would, open your Bibles, the book of Ephesians. If you didn't bring your Bible, you should have. There's one in the pew in front of you. Gentlemen, I would hope you would pick it up. Your wife will help you find the book of Ephesians. Chapter number five, clearly, look at verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember, we've been over this. The first part of Ephesians, like most of the letters of Paul, is what? Doctrine, this is what you believe. And then the second part of his letters, this is how you live. Here, Paul tells us how we live in relationships. A man and his wife, relationship between parents and children, and then relationship between employer and employees. And he introduces relationships and said, all of us should be in a posture of submission. Submission, remember, it means to position yourself under. And then he gives, beginning with verse 25, clear instructions for husbands. Verse 25, Paul says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we have to understand that Gentlemen, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Is that a broad enough assignment? Anybody says, boy, that's an easy thing to do. That's our assignment. And how do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? We know that Christ gave himself up. Already, we says we are to be submissive, submit, right, one to another. Submit means you're almost following instructions. What are you to do? I'm to submit. And now, he says, go further than that. You surrender. We submit, you're obedient, and in surrender, it's a total. He gave himself up. 
That's what we are to do. Gentlemen, we are to love our wives with a sacrificial love. That's what surrender is. We give in. We bow down. We listen to. We start off loving our wives sacrificially. Everything. You say, you mean I I give myself to my wife's agenda? Absolutely. You mean I listen to my wife attentively? Absolutely. You mean I, I put up with this? Absolutely. You surrender to your wife. We submit and then we surrender. Submit is being obedient. Surrender is just I give myself up. You see, the bottom line is husbands are to deal with their wives the way Jesus deals with the church. Boy, what a sign. We're to be like Jesus, gentlemen. Now, that's an overwhelming assignment, and we are to live sacrificially before our wives, and we are to sacrifice. Maybe you heard about the couple in West Texas. They lived on a ranch. They hadn't been married very long, but they were hopelessly and helplessly in love, and And so they went to live with the wife's mother-in-law on a large ranch. Her father had died, and now this young man was a rancher, a cowboy, and he was trying to run the ranch, living under the umbrella of his mother-in-law, you can imagine. And so in this context, the young wife was cooking at the stove, and some grease came out, and fire came up, and just burned one side of her face. They went to the plastic surgeon. He said, there's going to have to be a a skin graft, going to to volunteer someone for skin. And the husband said, man, I'll take skin off my face. And and so the doctor said, no, your face is bound in the sun. It's hard and ruddy. It, It won't work. So they said, the husband said, okay. And the doctor took some skin off his buttocks because it was white. It had never been in the sun. And so the graft was taking place and the skin was put on the wife and a few months you couldn't tell she'd ever been burned. It was a beautiful thing. But the wife looked at her husband and said, you know, nobody knows the sacrifice you made. They took off so much of your, of your buttocks and got your skin and, and you made a big sacrifice. I mean, nobody knows it. Now, I don't know how to repay you. He said, I'm repaid every time your mother kisses me on the cheek. (laughs) You live sacrificially, gentlemen, as a husband before your wife. Love sacrificially. That's where we begin. And then Paul goes on and gives us more instructions right in the passage. He says... Husband, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself, surrendered to her. And then he said, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We are to love our wives not only sacrificially, but we are to love our wife in a sanctifying way. What does that mean? That's what this verse says. When someone would read this about cleansing and washing, they would see that's what happened in a Jewish wedding. 
the bride would go prior to the wedding and there would be a laver there and she would be washed from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. She'd be totally cleansed and pure and no one would come around her or touch her until she was married to her husband. And gentlemen, we are to love our wives, begin to sanctify them. In other words, our love makes them more and more into what God intends for them to become. And there's a picture of washing and, and purifying. It's interesting to observe that everything in this world that we see that God created or gave to us in the physical realm is an illustration and an application of the spiritual realm. Now go back and remember that what we said as our thesis. Gentlemen, we are to love our wives as Christ loved his church. What was first in the Bible? The church or marriage? Marriage. Marriage was something physically that took place in Genesis 1 and 2. And then we see later on the church came into being, and the church is but a reflection of marriage. As Christ loved the church, the husband loved the wife already. That was already taking place in the world prior to the beginning of the church. Donald Gray Barnhouse read in Revelation a little verse that said, he was crucified before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Jesus was crucified before the world came into being? This means that when the world came into being, there was marriage in the beginning. And by the way, marriage is the fundamental institution behind all of the institution. It is marriage where you have medical aid. It's marriage where you have training. In marriage, you work in the vocation. Every institution we can comes from the home. That is the reason the Marxists today that are permeating our society, their major target is marriage, the family, and the home because it is the foundation of everything. And therefore, when the church came into being, the church was a reflection of something that already was being experienced in the intimacy and the beauty of marriage. And therefore, gentlemen, we are to be a part of sanctifying your wife. To say it in a crass, understandable way, uh, our wives are like Swiss cheese. They have holes in them. We all do. You get married one sinner, marriage another sinner, right? And so the husband has the high calling to fill up those holes. How does we say, how do we say it's done? By the word of God, by the word. It's not only the words of the Bible. Somebody says, you know, I can't remember all the Bible. Uh, it's like you have a, a, a sifter and it gets dirty and you run water through it and it cleanses it. We hear the Bible say, I can't remember, but it's the word that keeps on cleansing us, that runs through us. And, and we see we are to sanctify our wives by the word, and that's your words, gentlemen, and my words, gentlemen. We speak to them with gentleness, with encouragement, with delicacy, with love. See, we're, we're filling up those holes. We're, we're making our wife holy. Holy means to be set apart, unique. So we're to love them sacrificially. We're to love them in a sanctifying way. 
and we are to love them in even another way where there is satisfaction. You want to build in your wife, gentlemen, a woman, a female who is fulfilled and satisfied. Well, how do you do that? So many ways. James 1.9 will help us be quick to listen. Gentlemen, are you quick to listen to your wife? Hmm. Be slow to speak. Huh. And be slower yet to be angry, to bounce back. You see, what it takes for a husband to love a wife sacrificially, to sanctify her, and to let her be a satisfied female, I can look at any wife at any time with unerring accuracy. And I can tell you, if she's really loved like this by her husband. Yep, I can. Forgive me. I can tell. It's obvious. We can all tell. There's a glow there. There's a light there. There's a confidence there. There's a radiance there that God gives, but primarily that husband gives. And you can say, you know, that gal, she's really loved by husband. And then we move on. We see what Peter has to say. Look at 1 Peter, if you would. It's really more difficult for you to find, gentlemen. You might better go to Revelation and turn left. Chapter number 3, verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife. Be considerate that means that you understand her. You live with her in an understanding way. And you have to communicate. You know, the average couple spends only about 37 minutes a week just communicating one another. 37 minutes. That's not enough. But we have to move and say we, we communicate. We seek to understand our wives. We have a nearly wed class that we teach. We have marriage prep here. Some years ago, Dr. Danny Havard, one of our staff members, were teaching a, a bunch of couples who were preparing to get married, trying to see if their marriage was going to work, see if their marriage was going to sing. That's the goal, isn't it? For a marriage to sing with harmony, togetherness, spontaneity. And so we have these classes, and in the classes, he was sort of playing what some of us had played as a, as a dating game. He gave the, the prospective bride and groom a, a pad, and he would say, for example, do you like the, the beach or the mountains the best? And they would write down, then they would look, oh, we both like the beach better. Oh, we're so together. Then he would give them something else, and they'd write it down. Oh, yes, we're just alike. One couple in the front row, kind of obnoxious. You know, we're so in love. Everything they'd write down, oh, that's the same thing. Finally, he asked, he said, how much money can one spouse spend without asking the other spouse? And so they wrote down, she wrote down, he wrote down, and she looked at him. And both of them had written down 25. 
Oh, they said, isn't that wonderful? We're, we're so together, we're meant for each other. And so Danny looked down at him and says, 25. So, and the guy said, yes, I think any a wife spends more than, than $25. They certainly are. And the wife said, oh, no, no, not the, I'm at 25K, 25,000. <laughs> it's obviously they came up in different kind of homes, wouldn't you say? So we have to understand our wives. We have to live with them, gentlemen, in an understanding way. That's what Peter is saying. Then what else? He gives us more advice. It's very clear and very, very plain, perhaps too clear and too plain. He says, and respect, and treat them with respect. That respect means to honor your wife. I made this mistake for too many years. Gentlemen don't make the same mistake. We have a way of putting down our wives. Well, my wife is so-and-so. Abortion. My, you're becoming more and more like your mother. You want to get in barracuda water, gentlemen. Just throw that one out. And we use sarcasm, and we put them down with our friends, trying to be cute and humorous, gentlemen. It works for a while, but I can tell you, your wife may not tell you, she's tired of it. Always put down. Man, she doesn't cook. She's just not good. You know, she doesn't look good. And all of this. Oh, gentlemen, gentlemen, we are to honor our wife. Lift them up privately, publicly, genuinely. So we have to understand them and we have to honor them says Peter, and then he has some interesting terminology here that we may have trouble understanding. And he says, treat them with respect, with honor, the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. Peter is saying that your wife is weaker than you are, gentlemen, but you're on the same team, and both of you in the team, the business of life. Somebody said, well, that's a put down to women. No, it's not. But you look at something. Here are two cups. This is a little cup like that. Dainty, beautiful. Here's a solid wooden mug. Which one do you think uh, costs the most? How many of you think... Uh, this solid wooden mug costs the most. See, nobody votes for the mug. How many of you think this little Democrat, this cup costs the most? What do you think? Huh? They cost the same thing. Same store, same thing, exact identical price. So what do we say? This is a weaker vessel. It is a female, but the female brings something to the marriage that the male can't even understand. Men are generally not only and always, generally, left-brained people. Matter of fact, numbers, four, five, left brain. How boring would be this world if everybody was one, two, three, four. Women generally are 
right brain people, creative, spontaneity, life, vigor, see things through different eyes. You see, it's not that one cup is better than the other cup, they cost the thing, but together, a man and a woman, that's where the harmony comes. That's where the creativity comes. That's where the joy comes. So she is a weaker vessel like this small cup is weaker than this solid wooden mug, but they both have their place. And doesn't mean that a woman does not have left brain capacity, doesn't mean a man doesn't have right brain capacity, but it's the wholeness in God's genius of putting us together because here's I am, I'm half a person, here's my wife, she completes me, here's a woman and the husband completes her. But we have to follow biblical principles. Gentlemen, what is it gonna take for some of us who are lugheads and logheads to wake up? Do we have to be thrown into a bathtub with a dryer like in that movie? Bam! You think, well, I'm just the way I am. I'm the way my daddy was, and, and I can't change any other way. I'm Listen, if you're in Christ, a man who's in Christ who received Christ, the Holy Spirit is in your life and in my life, and our Heavenly Father took Jesus who was dead and brought him back to life, is that power enough? You think God can't change you and can't change me? Is that outside his realm? No. He wants our marriages to work. And therefore, Peter, ending up this, says a very devastating to us husbands. He says, unless you operate like this, your prayers will not be heard. Your prayers will be hindered. In other words, gentlemen, if you're out of sorts with your wife, or there's something that's long enduring, or there's something that happened on the way to church today, if you're out of sorts with your wife, don't try to pray. You're not going to be able to. Don't try to ask God to forgive you of your sin. He won't do it. Don't ask, well, I want you to bless me. He won't do it. Peter is saying, unless you're right with your wife and begin to practice some biblical principles of how to husband, you're wasting your time trying to get through to God. I wonder how Peter came to know that. I reckon how he experienced that. Can you imagine that one day Peter had been out apostling? He'd been preaching and teaching and healing and loving people and answering criticism. He'd got up early. He'd worked late. And man, he came home exhausted. And then he went in and went to the stove and he just peeped into something and he said, oh no, not fish again. We've had fish every day. I'm, no, not more fish. And Mrs. Pete just began to cry. I mean, she just walked out and she went and sat out in a chair. She was crying. And he said, what, what did I do? I mean, what, what, what? I just, you know, talked about, didn't want any fish. And he went in and says, 
look, I, he, she says, I don't want to talk to you. And she's crying. And he walks outside. And he says, oh, man. He, he said, he began to treat, he said, oh, Lord, help me. And somehow here's, here's the apostle, Peter now, guys. He prayed and nothing. Lord, are you there? Nothing. He couldn't get through. Lord, help. Nothing. He said, what's going on here? I've lost God. And then he begins to walk and think, you know, my wife may have had a pretty tough day. Oh, you know, these four kids, three of them are just like me, hard-headed and stubborn. Yeah, and her mother is here, and she's been sick for about a week, and, and she has to look at the house, took the kids to the synagogue to be trained at school and, and brought them back, and, and she's just exhausted. Do you reckon she's exhausted and run out of bullets? And so then he goes over, and there's a little rosebud best there, some roses, and he picks a rose, and takes out his old fishing knife and takes all the, all the sharp places off the rose, all the thorns, and he goes back into where his wife is and he kneels down and he says, I'm so sorry. You see, men, as spiritual leaders in the home, did you know whatever is going with this controversy, we are to be the first to say I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. I need you. That's our role, gentlemen. And he began to say that to his wife, and she said, oh, Pete. And they prayed just a little prayer together. Boom! Gentlemen, men, if you, if I, and I look in the mirror, begin to love our wives with a sacrificial love, with a sanctifying love, with a satisfying love, and we honor them, and we understand them, we deal with them with understanding. And then we realize they're the weaker vessel, but they're much more beautiful and functioning and practical than we could ever imagine. Then all of a sudden, there begins to be music in your marriage. Music. As men begin to understand and begin to practice God's principle for husbanding. And then one day, gentlemen, as your marriage begins to sing, you will walk into your home and you will hear your wives sing. Home. 